Romans, the third chapter of Romans, and got down to about verse 22, 23, just to get our thoughts back together, we closed out the section on sin, proving man to be sin. And what what better way to sum it all up than what God does here in verse 19 and 20. Now we know what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So to, to sum it all up, the law was meant for one purpose, and for one purpose only. It is not, and this is the way all religion of this world is, it's a self-help, do better, and improve yourself type of religion. The law's not there as a guideline to try to help me to do better or to be a better person. The law's there for one purpose, that my mouth might go shut and that I would realize that I'm guilty before God. And there all of mankind is, and outside of Christ, that's where all of man would stay. Because if we've broken it already, then there's nothing we can do to undo that. Even if we lived perfectly from that day forward, we're already a lawbreaker. So he begins to reveal then man's hopeless outside of uh, God acting. So he begins to speak now about Christ. Without Christ, man's without hope, but now the righteousness of God without the law. So the law, the, the perfection of God, that's that that man can never attain by his own ability, by his own strength, by his own knowledge or power. Man is unable to live perfectly and keep the whole of the law. So if there's going to be salvation then, it's going to have to come from a means outside of the law. He says in one place what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh because we were unable to keep the law for righteousness. There could no flesh be justified through the law. So then, we're all lawbreakers. We're all sinful. We're all guilty. Our mouths are all stopped before God. Where does that leave us? Well, God then manifests His righteousness outside of the law. It's not me doing something to be justified, but God's going to do something to be justified. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference So God manifests His Son Jesus as the means of redemption. And what a wonderful song. And will go wonderfully with the next few verses that we have here. Rock of Ages. He says in the last part of the first verse, I believe, Be of sin the double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. The sacrifice of Jesus accomplishes both of those things. His righteousness is accredited to our account and the wrath of God is appeased through His suffering and His death. 
and of sin, Christ Jesus is the double cure. But notice, it's unto all and upon all them that believe. There is still yet that, that place for man's response to the gospel. There is a place that man must respond to the gospel. So by this word of God, why are people going to leave this world and perish and be judged by the law found guilty and cast into the lake of fire? Because they've rejected the sacrifice of the Son of God for their sins. People are going to leave this world lost, meet God's wrath and anger and justice eternally in the lake of fire because they have refused to believe in the work that the Son of God has done. See, it's man's fault. It's man's place. Man has today chosen not to believe the gospel. Man has today chosen to do other things rather than even hear the gospel. That's not God's fault, is it? We're, we're blessed in a free country. We could come here this morning. We could go somewhere else this morning. Man's choosing to reject the sacrifice of the Son of God. For there is no difference. So we talked about that last time. Again, drawing it to the Jew and the Gentile, the religious and the unreligious. And just remember this. A lot of silliness could be removed and a lot of false doctrine removed from this one verse. The wrath of God in chapter 2 was on Jew and Gentile. The salvation of Jesus comes through believing to both Jew and Gentile. Does the Jew need to be saved? By the writing of a Jewish man who was a Pharisee, who was born again in Christ Jesus, the Jew is lost and in need to be saved. All of man that's going to be saved, both Jew and Gentile, they're going to come to the same gospel, the same spirit, the same Lord, the same sacrifice. They're going to believe the same way and they're going to receive the same salvation. There is no difference between the moral high ground and the ungodly and wicked on the bottom. The same sacrifice and the same salvation is needful for them all. So that wicked man that gets saved, God's not going to have to do anything more for him to be born again than he is the church member that's been here their whole life and was baptized as a child. The same sacrifice for all of man because all of man is equally guilty before God. That's the only, that's the only rational understanding that could be gotten from that. If Jesus had to die for me, and He had to die for Anthony, He had to die for Donna, and He had to die for Barbara, then we all must have been equally guilty for the same sacrifice to save us all. He don't have to put extra on some and hold back on others. They all receive the same. Buck Marshall said it like this one time, He don't give a pint to one and a quart to one and a gallon to another. But the same sacrifice for all. 
unto all them that believe, for there's no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now that, that verse, you just read that verse, that's pretty well common knowledge, wouldn't you say? And you'll hear that even from people that, uh, that are deceived and lost. Well, all sinned. But now get, get that down to really what he's saying. There is nobody that's going to stand before God and be justified. I realize we've went over that 50 times in the last two chapters. But he says it again here, and I feel like we ought to go over it again. Everyone has broken the righteous law of God. That's true, isn't it? From the most moral person on Spring Creek trying to live for God, they have broken the righteousness of the law. To the worst sinner that's on Spring Creek, they have also broken the righteousness of the law. The Jew in Paul's day that went to the temple every week, maybe multiple times a week, that fasted twice in the week, that wasn't an extortioner, an adulterer like other men were, that prayed and fasted and tried to uh, pay their tithes, those had also broken the righteousness of the law as much as that publican that was there praying in the temple at the same time. All of man guilty in need of the same repentance, the same forgiveness, and the same salvation. Now think about how contrary to carnal reasoning that that is. That does not fit in with my logical carnal thinking, nor does it fit in with yours. How could I be equal with this wicked person out here? How could I be uh, equal with the wicked people in the country and all this sin that's going on? But by the Word of God, that's what God says, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And God's the judge. If we're going to be just, He's the one we're going to have to stand before. And I don't have to wait till I get there to know where I'm at. I'm not waiting on God to say, yep, you're a sinner, you failed. I already have it written here that every man has sinned and is in need of the same redemption and salvation. Verse 24, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So justified to render, show, or regard as just or innocent. That word innocent, that's a, that's a great word to stay with. Because how can I be justified if I've broken the law? If I'm a lawbreaker, how can I be innocent? Well, it's through Christ Jesus. The leopard can't change his spots. The Ethiopian can't change his skin. The sinner that's broken the law, he can't be innocent. It's impossible that by his own works he be innocent because he's already guilty. Well here, 
is justification freely, that word means gratuitously, without a cause. Without a cause. So God, for no reason, and I don't mean to say that wrong in any way, but it wasn't earned by me. That's what it means. That God, not because I did something, He gave His Son, but for no reason on my part, I had done nothing to seek after God. I had done nothing to seek after forgiveness. I had done nothing in the means of being sorry for my sin, and yet God manifested justification to me with no cause on my part whatsoever. By His grace, through the redemption, ransom in full, a price paid to buy somebody out of trouble. Ransom, that word today, a lot of times is used in terms of a kidnapping. We understand that. Somebody takes somebody, they call their family and say, I'll give them back if you'll pay this ransom. But in this day, people that had great debt they may sell themselves into slavery. They may come and take their children into slavery. And somebody may come and say, well, I'm willing to pay off their debt and ransom that person out of the slavery that their own decision brought them into. You know, you think about money today. I can make a couple bad, bad decisions and be in a mess for the rest of my life. It happens. Well, that's what's going on here. Somebody's made a bad or maybe multiple bad decisions. They've gotten into debt that they can't pay for and they've been taken to work as a slave for this person that they owe all this money to. And here comes a good Samaritan, somebody that loves them, and pays what they owe off so that they can be released. Well, that's the word that we have here, this ransom in full. The Lord Jesus was the ransom for our souls that our sin debt and our guilt could be paid for. But now when we say that, we're thinking of money. But we're, we're going to get to a word in the next verse, and we'll, we'll wait till we get there. But what's being paid He's not paying the devil off to let us go. I think sometimes you almost hear it said like that. God didn't owe the devil anything. And He didn't pay the devil anything. But let's look at some of this Scripture. All have sinned and come short, but Christ was manifested freely without a cause to take away our sins. In 1 Corinthians Chapter 6, verse 11, And such were some of you. But ye are washed, ye are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So here are people that he's just give a list of sins and people that live these lifestyles, the Word of God says, are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. So they were in the same place as all the other sinners were. 
They were in the same condition that the rest of the world was in, but something happened to them that brought them out of that. It was this ransom in full. They were washed, sanctified, and justified through the Lord Jesus Christ and His Spirit so that Christ was sacrificed as their ransom that they could be let free from the bondage of sin that they had been captivated to for so long. He was their ransom and their means of justification. We have in Isaiah, you know, somebody paying off my debt so that I can be released. They're taking my debt onto them. Debt, it doesn't disappear. When we think of forgiveness a lot of times, we think of things disappearing. But things don't disappear, do they? You might have a good magician that can make you believe, that can trick your mind, but things don't disappear. There's always a method, and there's always a trick to it. Well, our sins, our debt, did not disappear. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, verse number 11, I know this is very familiar scripture, He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Just exactly like the man that's paying off debt, he's taking that debt on himself, He's paying that off with His goods. Here's the Lord Jesus Christ and He's being sacrificed that He might bear the iniquity of them that He's going to deliver. And just a perfect segue into the next verse in Romans. He shall see the travail of His soul and shall be satisfied. So who is this that's seeing And who is this that's satisfied? Jesus is the suffering servant here. He's the one suffering the death on the cross to pay the ransom of sin. And again, let's be sure that we've said it properly. Our sins, He lifted them off of us and He carried them on His back. They did not disappear And I realize it's in the book and I'm not throwing off on it at all. But the way it's said today that they're cast into the sea, they are forgotten as if they've been cast into the sea. But it wasn't that easy for them to just be cast off and forgotten. The Lord Jesus took them on His back. He carried them to His cross and there He suffered and died to pay the ransom for our sins. But who is this then that was satisfied? Somebody was looking and was satisfied with the travail of his soul. So let's look back in Romans then. And we'll see. This will all go together. So being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, 
to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. So to me and you, that word propitiation, it's not a whole lot through the New Testament. And it's a, it's a word that we don't hear often. And it's difficult to fully understand. But if we were in this day, we'd know exactly what he was writing about. The word, it's the same word as mercy seat in the Old Testament. And it's pointing to the day of atonement and that feast of atonement that the Jews had every year. So Jesus was the, the word means, atoning victim. Propitiation. Jesus was the atoning victim for all of mankind, for their sins, for their iniquities, for their failures, for their faults. So that atoning victim, on the day of atonement, they had two goats, be of sin, the double cure. The one goat they brought forward and they laid their hands on the goat and they slew the goat and his blood ran out. That goat was dying. He was dying in the place of the sinners that were in Israel. The other goat they laid their hands upon and they confessed their sins on him and he was sent out into the wilderness to never return again. Now I realize sometimes you hear that as well we were the goat that went free and I can see the conclusion drawn there but the whole work was Christ's work. He died as an atonement, as an appeasement of the wrath of God. He was the atoning victim and He was the goat that carried our sins away as far as the east is from the west, that goat was never seen again. He was took, taken out to the wilderness and he was released and he was never seen again. And the Lord's work, so perfect, so complete, and so whole, that he ransomed in full those that believe. And how are they believing? Again, by justified freely by his grace, Again in verse 25, to be a propitiation through faith in His blood. Back to 22, righteousness which is by faith to all them that believe. So there's a believing act to be done. If man's going to be saved, if his ransom is going to be paid, if he's going to be found in Jesus Christ, he's going to have to believe by faith in the work that the Son of God's done. How are they believing? By His grace. Being justified freely by His grace. Man's not going to believe outside of the grace, the influence of God in the inward man. Outside of God uh, interfering with a man's life and drawing him to Jesus, there will be no response to the gospel for atonement. But Jesus was given, set forth. Who set Him forth? This was God's plan from the very beginning. From before the foundation of the world, God foreknew, foresaw the failure of mankind, foresaw the need of a Savior, and developed a plan 
to bring atonement unto all mankind. How sure was God of this? Well, He promised it to Adam and Eve in the garden. And He took animals and killed them to cover their nakedness. Maybe that, maybe that doesn't seem very important. But already, in the beginning, when there's only two people alive on the earth, God is already showing that to cover sin and nakedness, blood must be shed. And He's promised this seed that was to come. He gave types and shadows. You know, Isaiah 53, a, a wonderful chapter. Really, there's 51, 52, 53, 54. All of those chapters in Isaiah together. And he pretty well tells you what Christ is going to suffer. 700 years before he comes. So this wasn't something that just happened because the Jews decided it was going to happen or because they rejected him or because the Romans didn't do what God really wanted them to do. All of that's foolishness. Peter says on the day of Pentecost that by the foreknowledge... I'm, I'm going to read it. I'm going to miss those two words. And those are, those are some good words in Acts. Chapter 2, verse 23. Him, Jesus, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. So Jesus was set forth by the hand of God to be the means of propitiation for our sins. In 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter 1 verse 18. For as much as you know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition of your fathers but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, <clears throat> but was manifest in these last times for you. So the Lord Jesus was set forth at the specific time in history that He came. He was manifested for mankind and for mankind's sins. He had one purpose in life, to give His life as an atoning victim for mankind. That was His purpose. My meat is to do the will of my Father which has sent me. And the Father's will was that He perish to pay the sins of man. And so, propitiation in 1 John chapter 4, verse number 10. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So God sent His Son, Jesus, to be that atoning victim for our sins. Not because we loved God. On the contrary, the opposite has already been proven. We didn't love God. We intentionally and knowingly chose to go away from God. And if we'd done what we wanted to, we'd have never come to God. 
If it would have been up to me, we would have stayed away. We would have never repented. We would have left out. We would have forever been guilty in sin. But God loved us and God sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And that, that uh, uh, person in Isaiah that was looking and was satisfied, that was God. Who is He making the propitiation unto? Well, He's atoning the wrath of God that rests upon man. Now, with the natural law, and I realize things are so crooked in so many ways today that the natural law can be a joke. But the way it's set up is there's a law. If I break it, there's a penalty. There's a speed limit on this road. As simple a law as you can that we all understand readily. There's a speed limit here. If you break that speed limit, there is a penalty for breaking that speed limit. When you break it, and you're caught doing so, the fine must be paid. Now, if I know the cop, and he lets me slide, or I know the judge, and they sweep it under the rug, or the DA, however that it may work, that still doesn't change the fact that I was caught in violation of the law. It just means the law was done away with that I could get off without a penalty. That's not just. Though I may enjoy that, that's not just by the law. When there's a, a breaking of the law, there must be a penalty. So God, God is eternally just. Perfectly righteous and equitable. He does not respect the person of man, but the way God dealt with Moses and with David, and with all of his saints, but also the way God deals with Sodom and Gomorrah, and the way God deals with us, it's going to have to be equal. So when I break the law then, when I sin, there's a penalty for sin. We all know what the penalty for sin is. It's the same penalty. See, it's not changed. But it's the same penalty that God told Adam and Eve, in the day you eat of this, ye shall surely die. And in the New Testament, the wages of sin is death. And so, all through the book, the penalty's not changed. Those that break the law of God are in danger of death. But we're not talking about the grave now. That's part of it. It is. But the death that we're most concerned about, wouldn't you say, is the eternal death of the inward man. The guilt of the man, the man that come from dirt, from dust, he will turn back to dust. They can lay the fire to him and he'll go to dust. Or you can let me lay up here long enough and I'll go to dust. But he's going back to what he was. But there's a, another part of man, the life, the breath that man has, which oddly enough, 
That can't be explained. Man's not wise enough to explain where that life comes from. But that part, it came from the breath of God. Man became a living soul. And that part from God, that can't go back to dust. It wasn't of dust. It can't go in the ground. But that part goes back to God who gave it. And man, when he's guilty, not only does this man have to die, but you know, his death, that's deserved. It's like the thief on the cross. We're here justly. Well, when this man goes to the grave, he's done so much sin already. That can atone. And then the inward man goes to God. And if he's guilty, he's going to die as well. But he can't die because it's of God. God is eternal. And so there, in the lake of fire, forever and ever, guilty man perishes without hope, never able to die and escape the torment that he's in. So there is the death that man owes unto God. But God desired to redeem man out of that state. God loved us, not because we had done anything. That's, it's marvelous, really. But it's, I can't understand it. Why would God love me and give His Son for me? I can't explain it. Of a truth, it's freely. By His great compassion for man, He sacrificed His Son for a people that were yet sinners, as we'll see in a couple chapters, that were guilty of sin, and He let His Son be the atoning victim. God took the death that I was going to face in the judgment, and His Son tasted that death. He tasted it for every man by the Word of God. But God's wrath and the penalty that I owed, Christ Jesus paid that on the cross. God's wrath was atoned for there. The penalty that I owed to God for my sin... Christ Jesus paid that when He died and suffered on Calvary. He was the propitiation through faith in His blood. So God gave His Son as a sacrifice in order to atone and appease His wrath for our sins. So how then can God justify the wicked and still be right? Because the penalty of the law has been paid. If I was 16 and got a speeding ticket, you know who's going to bear the cost of that? Dad and Mom would. They would. And you know the law, the law don't care who pays it. They don't care if it comes out of my pocket, mom and dad's pocket, out of my uncle's pocket. They don't care. But as long as the penalty's paid, it's good. Well, here God, you know, God could justly say, no, no, you're going to face, you're going to face and you're going to receive what's justly and rightly yours. 
And all of man would have been without hope. We would have faced God in the judgment without hope. But He took His Son and He said, I'm going to allow Him to pay the penalty that all of these people owe so that those who through faith in His blood... This is not universal atonement. All of man is not saved through His sacrifice. There must be belief. There must be faith. There must be response through faith in His blood. You remember that word, reliance upon. So here's a people that are believing in and relying upon Christ's sacrifice for their propitiation unto God. Paul said it and said it wonderfully in Philippians that he didn't desire to stand before God having his own righteousness which is of the law, but righteousness which is by faith in Jesus Christ. Because there is no righteousness which is by the law. By the law we're guilty and we're going to be punished for our sins. But God gave His Son to bear the punishment, to pay that ransom. It's God's wrath that has to be paid for. Not the devil's wrath. God's wrath had to be atoned. God had to be satisfied. And God looked on His suffering Son Jesus and He was satisfied. His wrath and His anger and the penalty of my sin was completely satisfied by Jesus Christ, the perfect atoning victim, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God to declare His righteousness. How righteous and equitable and holy and pure and just is God. He's this pure and righteous and just. God wants to save Vaughn. God could sweep Vaughn's sins under the rug, say I'm going to ignore those and I'm going to let you come in. Now that's the way the law of this land works. To those that know the right people or that's got the right money or politics, we can sweep it under the rug and ignore it and skirt the law. God cannot do that. So if God wants to save Vaughn, then there's got to be payment for Vaughn's sin. There's got to be an atoning victim to pay the debt that Vaughn owes by the law. God's so just, He can't skirt the law. His righteousness was declared in that God wanted to save man and God had to give a sacrifice, but He couldn't pull Daniel up and say, you're going to die for your people because the earth was searched and beneath the earth was searched and the heavens were searched and there was no man found worthy. We were all guilty. The priest who atoned in the Old Testament, you know, he first he first atoned for himself. There was none worthy to be an atoning victim. And I could not, with my sincerest effort, atone for my two boys. 
But the Lord declared just how righteous He is in that He took His Son Jesus and He put Him on a cross naked before the world for the suffering of death that man could be redeemed. God could not skirt the law. The penalty of the law could not be ignored. God's justice and His wrath and the judgment of the law had to be met. So God gave His Son Jesus that all of those requirements could be met. That the law would not be cheated. That righteousness could be upheld. And yet, the unrighteous could be justified. That's what happened. He was sent forth to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past. So listen to this scripture in Hebrews. Now, you you might hear this sometimes. Well, he died, and when I got saved, all of my old sins were forgiven. But now I'm going to have to pay for the rest of them. See, the problem is I couldn't pay for them before. So what's different now that now all of a sudden I'm able to pay for them? Foolishness. That's not what he's saying. I believe we can clear it up with the Word of God itself in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15. For this cause, He is the mediator of the New Testament, the new covenant, the new means of approaching God and being right with God. That by means of His of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament. So what are these sins that are past? And if, if you look in Romans chapter 3, right there where we are, the remission of sins that are past, here in Hebrews, the transgressions that were under the first testament, is he saying everything before I got saved? No, he's saying my transgression of the first covenant. What was the first covenant? Don't do this or you're going to die. The first covenant that man had failed. The agreement of works under the law of Almighty God that man could not keep up to. Those ordinances and the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. Christ took them out of the way, nailed them to His cross, and all of the sins under the law, where the law would hold me today guilty, He atoned for those. Not just the past, but the future as well. I would would have been lost years ago for a second time if it depended on me to keep it. And if my sin before salvation was worthy of eternal death and hell, then would not my sin after salvation be worthy of the same? But those that are in Christ, they're not fearful of the judgment of God. I mean, good grief. Paul says in Hebrews that we can come to God in the holiest of all with boldness. We're not fearful of our sin in the New Testament. Christ Jesus has bore those and atoned for those, all that are under the old covenant, through, and we'll we'll finish this and we'll stop for today, through the forbearance of God. Now forbearance, that word means exactly what you think. 
His long-suffering, His self-control, His holding back. You know that's the way everybody all through time has been saved. Through God's forbearance. If God had not been forbearing and held back His judgment against our soul, we would have all been cut off well before the propitiation was ever manifested unto us. But you know what God was year after year after year with everyone that saved? He was forbearing with us. He withheld the judgment. He withheld bringing us before. Now He's not skirting the law. But it's like today when you go to court and they say we need an extension. We're not ready yet. And they give them another month to make their case. And you can extend so many times. But the trial is coming. Well, that's the way man was. We were guilty. We were going to stand before God, but God was forbearing with us, allowing us to live, allowing us to, uh, to have more time to make preparation, and God's forbearing today. With everybody here that's lost, and with our world and our families that are lost, God is dealing with them in forbearance. And if God ceased forbearance at this moment, who would be saved? If God's forbearance ceased, would there be another come to Christ Jesus? I'll tell you what would happen. When His forbearance ceases... He'll split the eastern sky. The trump of God shall sound and all things will come to a close and the great white throne judgment will occur. But through forbearance and God's long suffering with mankind, we had opportunity to come to the gospel. We had opportunity to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. And as some would say, Chris has said, how that he was long-suffering after dealing with him. It's that that brought us to salvation. I tell you over and over and over again, everything hinges on what God's doing. And if God don't do something, we're without hope. God was forbearing and merciful and long-suffering, not giving us what we deserve when we deserved it. God provided a propitiation, an atoning victim, Jesus Christ, for our sins. God provides His Word and the Holy Spirit to manifest that atoning victim unto us, as well as our guilt under the law. And God brings us to Him and justifies us through His blood satisfied with a sacrifice of His Son Jesus that we could be saved and in His family. If God leaves out a part, we're without hope. Without hope. That's all, all we'll say today. Anybody, anything on your heart you'd like to say, anything you'd like to add, a scripture you'd like to read, anything at all.